we realized the shareability of some of the the content, the video content we were creating went up when I gave them an opportunity to pitch what they do and what their company does. I, I saw some other people where they were just going straight for the customer story, which is fine. It's great content for you. But I'm also thinking about how do we shoot content together that they would get excited to share? This is The Anonymous Marketer, a podcast where we tackle the biggest questions from the B2B marketing community. But instead of bringing on guests for a quick chat, every question comes from an anonymous source. These are the questions B2B marketers have but are afraid to ask. Let's start the conversation. Hey, I'm Nick Bennett, and I'm excited to get into this episode and dive into some of the new anonymous questions that we received. But before we get into it, I wanted to do my part and highlight our supporters. How does your organization equip sellers with skills, knowledge, and content to confidently engage buyers and win deals? Well, let me tell you about Alego. It's the future of sales enablement. And with Alego's sales enablement, learning and content management and conversation intelligence products, you can accelerate the performance for sales and other teams. Nearly 1 million professionals use Alego to equip sellers with intelligent training, coaching, and content that engages and converts buyers. Visit alego.com to learn more and schedule a demo. If you're a marketer, it's likely you have attribution data spread across spreadsheets, your CRM, your marketing automation platform, and other places. With data all over the place, it's hard to understand what drives the highest quality leads. And that's why I want to tell you about HockeyStack. After adding one single line of code to your website, HockeyStack gives your company the ability to turn your marketing, sales, revenue, and product data into a unified picture. HockeyStack provides the analytics and attribution data your B2B company actually deserves. Get a free trial, and in five minutes, you can start using the product. Sign up today at HockeyStack.com. What's up, everyone? Welcome to The Anonymous Marketer. I'm your host, Nick Bennett, and today we're going to explore a few questions around a topic that is near and dear to me, field marketing, content, and I honestly couldn't have someone better because we are both field marketers at heart. I have my good friend, Arthur Castillo, with me today to help out. Arthur, thank you so much for joining me. What's up, Nick? This is a pleasure, an honor. I can't wait to dive in and talk about field marketing from the guy who taught me a lot of what I know today. So it's going to be great. Awesome. So to get us started, let me talk about how we got these questions. So the two questions today came from our website. And if you want to submit a question to the show, go to motionagency.io slash anonymous. You'll see a form where you can submit your most pressing questions, fully anonymous, um, and the reason that I group these ones together today is because they have to deal with field marketing. And I was like, oh, Arthur, like I need Arthur because he can add so much perspective. And I think it's something as we move to 2023, these are kind of questions that I think a lot of people beyond just field marketers are going to have as well. So let's jump into the first anonymous question. So something that I like to do is give a little bit of background about this anonymous source. I don't know who it is, but For this specific question, this person works at a mid-market cybersecurity company in the identity and access management software space, and they work on a marketing team of 10 people. So decent-sized marketing team. And the question is, and and, this is a long question, so I'm going to try to go 
slower so everyone can kind of get this. I joined the marketing team in September as a contractor from an external agency. Everyone else is employed full-time. I was assigned the field marketing lead role for an entire territory, but I am the only person managing that territory and has responsibilities and duties of a manager and not a lead. They recently laid off two people from the marketing team in my hopes of joining the team as an employee once my contract ends through the agency in February have been completely shattered. I feel like I am way underpaid for this position, and although I recently got a small salary increase, it's minimal and unfair. Is there a way to leverage the importance of my role so that I can continue working with them, but as an employee and not as a contractor through my third-party agency where the contract is set up? Should I apply to other roles and mention my offers so that they can offer me a well-adjusted salary? So that's a lot to unpack right there. So, you know, Arthur, it's it's a loaded question. And I think we need to break this apart in a few ways. So first, let's talk about a field marketing lead and a field marketing manager. In your eyes, what's the difference between these two roles? Yeah, to me, and I'd be curious to see like why the the anonymous marketer is so sure that they're taking on manager roles. In my mind, I think if you're really kind of leading the go-to market of that field marketing and not really discussing strategy with anybody else, and you're kind of taking it from scratch and saying, hey, these are the programs I'm going to run, whereas I feel like a lead would probably work with a manager try and understand kind of some of the programs that we're about to run and then help in executing them. So to me, that's like the biggest difference I see of like whether you're actually leading, creating those programs yourself or you're kind of helping lead them and execute them. How do you see it, Nick? Yeah, I I agree with you. Like when I think of like the, the manager level, I think it's someone that's setting the strategy for the others that are on the team. And I think the lead helps in, you know, making sure that it's a well-executed program for the areas, but ultimately they're working hand in hand with that manager level. Now, it could vary company to company, industry to industry, and depending on the size. Now, this is a a mid-market company. So like when I think of mid-market, I think of like that 200 to 500 employee range. So it's it's a decent size company. I don't know if they're a series B, series C, you know, how much money they have in the bank, all those things. But I think that it's important to figure out, do you actually want to manage the strategy aspect of it and not really yeah. execute? Or do you want to get in the weeds and be the person that's actually moving the needle forward with these programs? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a great way to dis- distinguish it. Cool. So the next part of the question, you know, from this anonymous source asked about the importance of the role. And I think you and I, you know, we, we know how important it is. I mean, I was talking about film marketing three years ago and how do you, and how to communicate the importance of this role to the company. So from your perspective, how do companies view the role of a field marketer in the context of an entire marketing team? Man, this one is such a good question in that I'll even speak from my experience when I first talked to you, Nick, about making the switch from sales to field marketing. I feel like your understanding of field marketing is a little different than what the market is. And I think a lot of the times it's pretty synonymous with event marketing. What you described to me, I really enjoyed. I was like, yes, very strategic. You kind of use this analogy of 
being the quarterback and helping your team get into the end zone. It's not you taking all the glory. It's like, how do you make those plays to get them into the end zone? So I think that's a pretty clear distinction um, that you made for me. But I will tell you, like when I jumped into the role at Chili Piper, it did have a big events part of it. So I think if we're looking at it from an events perspective, it starts to lose its strategic appeal um, for whatever reason. I think like events, you still really need to to have a great strategy around it. And we can talk a little bit about that. But I also realize like when this question was coming in, it sounds a little old school in that like they still have a territory because nowadays I feel like you're a field marketing team of one or two and you're you can't just like do marketing in a territory. I think now it's becoming more community driven. I see field marketing like linking up nicely to community, but it's not only about in the field space. So I don't know. I Part of me feels like it's being lumped in too much into this event space. And I know um, Ryan Narod actually from Mutiny comes to mind where he thinks the modern day field marketing is actually community marketing. And I really like that. And I think that's a little bit of the approach that me and you took. But I don't know. How do you see maybe like field marketing back in the day, if it's set up how this marketer set up or it looks like they're given like a geographic territory? I don't know. How do you see the, the importance stacking up in terms of the entire marketing suite? You know, I, I think I think that was important pre-COVID. Because if you think yeah. about it, like pre-COVID, it was always, at least in my experience, set up where there was like an East Coast field marketer, a Central field marketer, West Coast field marketer, EMEA, APAC. Like there was people in charge of territories. And so you had maybe one field marketer to five to 10. I At one time, I was in charge of like 25 sales reps. So I could see back then why a territory-based model was important. But that's when sales reps were out in the field going company yeah. to company, seeing people in an office, which now that everything is switched to kind of a remote first mentality, um, I, I don't think the territory model actually even makes much sense, if I'm being honest with you. I think yeah. it makes more sense to do it maybe on a segmented basis where it's like SMB, mid-market, enterprise, or maybe it's like, the community focus that you mentioned as well, because I think that is a huge piece of it. And that was something that I fought for so long that field marketers were event marketers. And, you know, yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with event marketing. Let me just be upfront with you. It was just not, I didn't want to be a logistical event marketer. And that's like all I did. Like I set up booths and I, I traveled and I scanned leads. Like I, I felt like my value was so much more than that. And I think that the companies that I worked for if I could spin it where you were revenue driven, and I think there is some failed marketers and event marketers out there that are very much revenue driven versus like from a logistical standpoint, it changes the the whole the whole game. But I think companies get stuck in the trap that they think very much of like, cool, just go plan events, like go do dinners. And like, we don't really care as much about the outcome. We just want like the, the people there. We want butts and seats. We want our sales team selling to people. We want our customers selling to people. And, you know, there's so many companies out there. I don't think there's a a right or wrong way. If it works for your company, great. But like my mentality is that you are that partner to the sales team. You're working in 
in my mind, deal marketers should be middle and bottom of the funnel. However, yeah. I've talked to many that have said, well, I'm focusing on top of funnel and I'm not focusing on middle and bottom. And I am curious on your thoughts on that, because I think that goes into the importance of the role as well. Like, where, where do you focus at Chili Piper? Yeah. And I think you hit the nail on the head because the field marketing program we created was very top of funnel focused. Like it was always on like net new acquisitions, um, net new pipeline, closed one. That's really where the focus was. And we were trying to actually communicate the value of even inviting in opportunity deals to our events. And that's really like, there's one keen sales rep that started to, he messaged me and he was like, how do I move this deal across? Do you think it'd be worth uh, inviting this person to an upcoming San Francisco dinner we have. I said, absolutely. Like to me, I see these events as an acceleration strategy where we can get them in a room full of their peers talking about and hearing from them directly of like the impact of it, how they implemented it, any questions. And lo and behold, this deal closed like a month after we had this dinner. So I think this is where it's interesting and how people view like event and fuel marketing, because to me, that was more the strategic side of like, cool, we're, we're faced on putting these events and ideally we're driving top of funnel, but we can still use this as a middle of funnel accelerator. And, and we saw it happen live. So I tend to agree with you. I think it also becomes about the maturity of the organization. If they can measure that, that's why I think it is pretty easy to default to just top of funnel and say, Hey, what are your programs generating in terms of net new contacts, net new logos, net new revenue. From what I'm gathering from you, Nick, like I know you were almost always middle of funnel, bottom of funnel, and they were using you more as an expert. Is that how you kind of see it? Yeah, exactly. It was much more focused on like the acceleration of deals. And I feel like that was something that I was, I was good at. Now, again, like this, this could completely change. Like if, if you're, and this is a cybersecurity company, so the way and I worked in IT, um, which I will never go back to, by the way. But like, you know, the types of people that you sell in IT and cybersecurity, it's like, you know, engineers, developers, like all these different things. And like the way that they purchase software and SaaS products today compared to how MarTech and sales tech purchases is, is very, very different. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think I think that's a I think that's an important piece to to talk about as well. Yeah, exactly. Like we, I've never sold to cybersecurity, so I'm not aware of how they typically buy. I could see events being very, um, like, yeah, round tables, getting people in the same room. And maybe that's a, a good focus, but it's really tough. I wish they almost like listed out their responsibilities versus being like, I'm a field marketer. Cause that can mean right. so many things in today's context, right? hundred percent. All right. So Let's continue with this one. If you were in this person's shoes and you weren't a full-time employee, how would you approach the organization with the desire to, to join full-time, even though they reduce their marketing team's headcount? Yeah, this is one I feel for the situation, by the way. This is so tough. And I think this is the reality of the situation for a lot of marketing teams where they're looking to make cuts. Um, and the reality of it is like a lot of where they look to make cuts is probably the field marketing budget. It's a big capital expense. We've we both seen it work really well, but when the CFO was looking at the 
the budget line items and he sees a booth or something for 100, 150K, then he's like, okay, we can scrap that. We don't really need to do that. We can, we can do other things. Here's what I would say in this situation. I know they asked about like applying for other roles. One, I think you really have to look at that because you come from a different mindset when you know you are being valued in the marketplace. It's almost the scarcity versus abundance mindset, right? Where I can tell the way the question is asked, they're scared, it's coming up in February, how do I describe this? If you try and communicate from that perspective, I think you're going to bring into like a scarcity mindset and they may just say, hey, take it or leave it or you know what, like, yeah, we're going to we're gonna end your contract. So one, I, I definitely think you should look what else is out there, um, even from the model of like very regional focused and what me and Nick just said of like pre-pandemic, that could have been a good model. I don't think that's the way field marketing is going to work in the future. And we're going to see more of this community feel. I think there there could even be better options for you. So my dad always gave me this piece of advice, know your value in the open market, right? So if I think if you have some of those offers, you start to talk to other people, maybe the way they even view field marketing is different from your current role. And it's something that you enjoy even more. Um, I think you can actually leverage that even in those, those discussions. So to me, it's always great. You come from a way different mindset when you know other people in the market are valuing you and you come to that table with, with other options. It's not like a hopefully they agree to this. Otherwise I'm back to the drawing board. It's like, no, okay. I know that if they don't agree to this, cool. I have other options lined up. It seems like you really want to stay there um, just based on the questions. And maybe it's just for certainty, but I think you definitely do want to have something in your back pocket to come at it, come at it from an abundance mindset. Then, okay. Once we have that from there, I do believe like you can start to frame it in a way of like, these are my needs and this is what's important to me in this role. And you can also say, look, in the work I've done for the company, this is what I have achieved. Again, Nick mentioned tying it to revenue. If you can, that's huge. That's absolutely huge. It doesn't matter how many leads you came in. It's like, cool, what did the sales team do with those leads? Did they turn to revenue? And I think you can say, this is what's important to me in my role. And at this time, you can use the excuse of the economy and say, I need certainty. I can't be waiting until February to what, know whether or not we're going to continue on. I really value the work I'm doing. I really value the mission and what we're going after. And for me, it, I need to know whether or not this is something that you see us continuing. I think you can take that approach and it comes off much more genuine and confident when you do have a little bit in the back, uh, in your back pocket of other options. So I'm not always saying the grass is greener, but just even knowing what's outside there, what somebody would be willing to pay you. I know they gave you a minimal raise, but I think ultimately you have to look back at your achievements say, this is what I was able to do in this certain amount of time span. If you can baseline that against like hey, this territory had no events and this is what I was able to do. Now they can start seeing the importance of that role, right? And saying, okay, I see how you drive revenue. A question of like how important your territory is, is another one I had as well. Like if this is the biggest territory that is driving revenue and money, I would try and show that and say like, hey, compared to other territories, this is what I was able to do. So try and find a benchmark, try and have a couple of um, offers in your back pocket and 
I think it's completely fine with you to come up to them and say, hey, this is what I need. This is what's important to me. And I can't wait until February. I just want to have this conversation now to understand where I stand and and um, yeah, whether my work is, is being valued. But I don't know. What do you think, Nick? Yeah, no, I, I love all of that for sure. And I think it's important. Like, you know, I think of field marketing, you know, you could do a lot of different roles when you have a field marketing background. You could turn that into an integrated campaigns type of role. Um, if that's a path that you want to go, you could turn it into an ABM type of role, which I mean, every company wants to do ABM now. And I feel like field marketers, especially from a territory basis, yeah. you are really doing ABM because you're working with your specific sales team to drive impact at target accounts, whether that's, you know, net new revenue or acceleration of revenue uh, or pipeline. It's important to think about it. So I, I agree. You know, I think it's just kind of going out there and, and leverage the communities that are out there to have conversations with other field marketers or, or message them on LinkedIn. Like, you'd be surprised at how many field marketers are willing to have open conversations about like, hey, this is like where I'm that I value myself. This is where I see things. And, and there's a lot of them from the cybersecurity space. So I would just reach out to people and as well and just have some coffee chats. Um, and then hopefully that will give you the ammunition or what you need to either continue down that path of wanting to work with that company or exploring other roles and realizing that your value is so much more. I mean, this is exactly what I did, right? You, I reached out to you and I was like, I think this is interesting. You gave me a different perspective, even like based on what you said. And I campaigned a lot for my role when I went into it with Chili Piper. It was a little different. So by the way, anonymous marketer, I, I can't speak for Nick, but I kind of want to because I know he's such a good guy. Reach out to us. We're happy to hop on a call, um, discuss kind of your roles and responsibilities and give you, once we get a little bit more context, uh, maybe give you that that piece of advice that you need to, to either move on or keep on with this company. Love that. All right. So let's jump into the next anonymous question. So this, this one's a good one. So a couple things to keep in mind with this anonymous source. So this person works at a SaaS company, so we can relate there. The company has between 50 to 200 employees. So, I mean, I, I can relate. Um, probably you're probably pretty similar. And the marketing team, they have two to five employees. So the question from the anonymous source is, I'm responsible for a lot of events. I'm not labeled as a field marketer, but I do a lot of that work. In 2023, I'm looking to get more out of the events that we participate in. I feel like content creation should be a core part of every event we do. What's the best way to think about a content strategy that comes from events? So, I mean, Arthur, like, I mean, you've been doing this so much lately, like you do a lot of events, you understand the content piece. Like, how do you think about the relationship first between field marketing and events? I know we just talked about it a little, but like, you know, what do you think about that? I think it's a, I think it's a subset of field marketing. That's really how I look at it. Like, I think the events marketer should be under the field marketing campaign. I think there's other things you can do, but it, it is a big part of many organizations, field marketing departments. It's funny, and and I think maybe we even disagree on this, Nick, because going into it, talking to people like you, Chris Walker, others in the industry, I almost was like, yeah, trade shows are not the way to go. Like, I am not like if I'm in charge of this budget, I am not going to invest in it. And then there was a couple of good trade shows that we knew our our ICP were going to be at, and lo and behold, we started getting some results. And I'm like, huh, maybe I should like reframe 
the way I look at it. And I know we've had a ton of success at um, at a lot of these events and trade shows. So maybe it's making a comeback. I don't know. We've we've uh, we've gone a lot without in person. I think in person will be so hard to replace. I don't know if you can ever replace it. So I think it's yeah, and events doesn't mean in person either, right? There's digital events as well. So I think it's a subset of of field marketing. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it's it's a piece of the pie, honestly. Like when I think of field marketing, I think it's a full stack marketer to a certain degree. Like you have to understand digital, you have to understand the events component, the brand, like the messaging, the the content aspect of it, which is the next piece that we'll get into. Field marketing doesn't just mean like one thing. And I think events doesn't just mean one thing because when you yeah. think of an event, there's a lot of different components that go into that as well. And that kind of brings me to my next point of like, you know, what's your company's strategy? Like, how does Chili Piper think about it when it comes to events and content creation from the events? Man, yeah. And and I'm happy to share this advice because one, it should always be evolving. And I think we, we've learned quickly what kind of sticks, what is maybe shareable to others. The first time I think we really took a big stab at this was with our Dreamforce uh, content. And we didn't really have as much of a plan. We had Nolan, our head of video and creative there. We knew we wanted to shoot content. We talked about potentially like customer stories if our customers were there. And then we just had this idea of hot takes. We're like, okay, whoever we're talking to, how can we get them to maybe give a hot take? It worked okay. It worked okay. It got a lot of buzz, but we didn't necessarily know how that was driving revenue, what it was really doing for us. And I think one of the biggest learnings that we had that we recently implemented at um, the last event I was at, what is that, uh, two weeks ago now, last week, was one, understanding what the heck was our like content narrative. So trying to understand, okay, what our audience is and how can we ask them a question that would relate back to something that we think we can impact. So we gave uh, ourselves this theme of pipeline conversion. We know we help with that, but we're, we weren't going to necessarily lead people to like, how do you convert more pipeline from form filled to like demo booked? That's way too leading. We wanted to keep it vague and like allow people to give their tips, whether they're in sales, marketing, rev ops, CS. I love at a really great conversation with the CS where they're not necessarily looking at as like net new pipeline, but the continuation of that customer life cycle. So that, that actually gave us direction. And once I even knew the, the narrative that we were trying to go for, it actually made my interviews a little bit easier. I could pick up on certain things and be like, Oh, cool. I know how this even relates to like the larger theme of pipeline conversion. So I think you can go there. An easy one is just customer stories, right? One thing I will say, because we realized the shareability of some of the, the content, the video content we were creating went up. When I gave them an opportunity to pitch what they do and what their company does, I, I saw some other people where they were just going straight for the customer story, which is fine. It's great content for you, but I'm also thinking about how do we shoot content together that they would get excited to share. And a quick and easy one is just to give, hey, give us an introduction. What do you do for the company and what does the company do in under 30 seconds? Just that alone is going to get them to want to post it from their company channel, from their personal channel. We've seen it happen. Every time I post one of these videos, 
gets like eight reposts because other people from that company probably aren't shooting content at events and they're saying, wow, we finally got this content piece where we get to pitch, we get to talk about why we're here, what we're hoping to do, and lo and behold, it's shareable. So I think that's something that you and guys like Chris Walker have really got me thinking about is how do you create this like content flywheel from physical to digital where you're almost maybe creating a little bit of FOMO. We were trying to do that too with our events and trying to post footage of that so people would be like, huh, when's the next Chili Piper event in my city? I would love to go to that. It sounded like a great time. So I guess to summarize, if you're doing it at events, I would try and really understand your narrative. I think customer stories are quick and easy and give them a quick shout out. But anything you create, try and try and have a larger narrative that you're tying back your questions and you're having an interesting discussion around, in my case, pipeline conversion. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's spot on. I think it's so important to have that narrative because, you know, it's, it, you know, I, I even think about it as, hey, if I'm going to be an individual that is going to an event, like I don't need a booth or anything, but maybe it's something like, maybe I'm just buying a ticket for myself and I'm going to the event to create content. Now you have the benefit uh, of having Nolan to be able to yeah. go and like, you know, I was really just shooting in on my phone and then relying on different ways to to cut that up. But like, if you could bring someone with you that like they understand video and they understand like they're helping you bring this, this all together, it makes a, a world of difference, honestly. So definitely with you there. How do you, how do you think the, how do you think events have shifted? Like, what do you think we're going to see in 2023? Yeah, I Man, this is exciting. It may be like I'm, I'm biased because I, I feel like we are trying to change the events um, from what we're seeing. So I think as you saw the evolution of it, um, obviously during the pandemic, online events were huge, but it did get to a point where we all zoomed out. Like the, the show rates, um, attendance rates were just declining. So we made the decision that like we're trying to go all in on it in person, even if we were a little early in terms of how safe people were uh, feeling to attend these events. Even through that, we noticed a shift in terms of how we wanted to host these in-person events. So one, I think like these mega conferences, they're still going to exist, but you can tell what pr people really want from them, which is the connection. If you look back and say like, look at some of your best uh, trade shows that you went to. Maybe it was a really impactful keynote, but I'm willing to bet that it was probably a relationship or somebody you had met there that like the conversation was amazing. You guys connected on LinkedIn after you talked about some ideas and you actually followed through on that. So I think that's the key piece to events. And one thing we noticed when we started hosting these in-person executive dinners, 25 to 30 people, and you've been to some of these, Nick, it was enough for us to just put a bunch of people in a room together and they hadn't seen their peers in so long that the magic would just happen by itself. And they'd be like, oh my God, best event ever. And we're looking over at each other being like, okay, we didn't really do anything. I guess we created like the space in the venue, but a lot of it was on the onus of the guests to, to make sure they're getting a lot out of it. And they did, but that started to change. I think we had a lot of success based on the timing of just people wanting to get back together. But then we started listening to our audience. And some people would say, hey, is there any programming or is it just networking? That kind of intimidates me. Interesting. Okay. Hey, is there, I didn't get a chance to learn about the companies that were sponsoring the dinner. Is there an opportunity for that? So we started to realize there was this feedback of like, 
sure, people like to get together, but it was almost a little bit too much pressure if they were just networking and they actually wanted to have a moderated discussion. They wanted to have a content theme or topic that would bring together these like-minded people and they could share their challenges and opportunities. So that's how we're starting to change our events. We're having more of a moderated discussion. We're surveying people beforehand because I don't think it's enough to just have dinner and drinks and get people together in a room. You can see that they want to have this driven discussion around a topic that they're passionate about or they're curious about where they're at in their business. Which brings me to, I think the way events change is <clears throat> you are going to see a little bit more micro. I think the in-person micro is going to be huge, but not only that, bringing people together to have like these moderated discussions or very focused discussions around a key challenge or a key topic that they're passionate about. That's really how I see events changing. And what would be super cool, what we just talked about is like the content capture piece of that, right? So maybe it's a panel, maybe it's a keynote. You don't have to film everybody there. But then you put that online and say, hey, we're just in Boston talking with Nick, talking with Chris Walker. It's amazing. Let us know if you're interested in the next event. So people can actually consume that content. And then you create a little bit of FOMO of like, man, please get me on that list for the next Boston dinner. So that's how I'm thinking about events in 2023. Uh, I love that. I'm, I'm actually I'm doubling down on micro events for 2023 personally, just because I think that's going to be such a huge piece of it. And on top of that, I think that for those that can't attend some of these micro events, I think there's going to be a hybrid piece. And I think that the hybrid piece, a lot of companies haven't figured out how to do this hybrid piece yet, like where the in-person piece is the component, but it feels like these virtual um, attendees still are, are part of it. They could join in on the conversation. So I think there's going to be some really cool stuff happening from companies in 2023 that will bring this together, that will allow you to scale content even further than just those 20 people in the room right there, which I'm excited for personally. So I agree, micro content, uh, micro events of the future. I, I like to call them elevated experiences because it, nice. it sounds fun. Uh, <laughs> but all right, so let's let's answer this last question um, and, and that we can wrap it up. So what types of tips would you have for companies who are looking to create content from events? And so like when I think about that, I think what are the what are some of the the must have content pieces that you've either created from attending an in-person event or hosting an in-person event or like that you wish you had? I to me like customer stories are right up there. If you think about typically how long it takes a marketing team to turn that around, it has to go through several different departments, they have to book and schedule if you're lucky enough to sponsor an event where you have several customers there, you also get a different type of customer story where it's like this raw footage and it's not like, okay, let's talk about results. A lot of the time I just, like if I see a customer there and I know they use Chili Piper, I'm like, what's your favorite thing about Chili Piper? And what's so cool about that is when you're talking to different people from different departments, you'll actually get different answers, right? So it's not only the same thing, hey, this is the main value prob, this is how we what happened before. This is what happened after. I feel like you get this different raw type of energy. Uh, you can take that, use it, post it online, create more of a bond between your brands when you're sharing that. A lot of the time, the other company account will pick it up. So to me, that's like baseline level one. If you happen to be sponsoring an event where your customers are at, just a great little um, piece of content that you can capture. I think the other one that 
we are trying to get to. Um, we we ne- we haven't necessarily, but there's such a conglomeration of talent right then and there. We are doing offsite activations, right? Whether it's a happy hour, I know we've done some fun things like B two B comedy roasts, inbound SaaS awards, different things like that. But how do we start to capture content with so many talented marketers in our case in the area? So recently, we've even been taking a little bit of um, this event space and creating like a makeshift podcast booth and just filming people right there. That I love because then you're getting like bringing people together. Um, But this past week in New York, we actually brought them upstairs. We had a video crew set up there and we like set up some um, a nice room there where they could just discuss. And we talked about things that were like happening in the economy. So I guess I gave you a little bit there, Nick, because like one, sometimes I think of it in just trade shows. If you happen to be at trade shows, this is the quick way to do it. I do like hot takes. People seem to like these, this escalator hot take that Nolan has me doing now. Um, I'm like branding myself as a, like an escalator hot, hot take marketer now. So I think like short and concise videos, we're also conscious of that, right? Like you could probably have an amazing 20 minute customer interview right then and there. Are people going to watch it? Probably not. So how do you frame it up in a way of like, you don't put them on the spot too much. I typically say, Hey, 30 second intro. Um, tell us a little bit about what you do at the company and what the company does. And then I'm going to ask you one question. Sometimes I do ask follow-up questions, but I can tell that they're already speaking from a position of like, I know what I'm going to talk about so we can dive in a little bit deeper. But I think that is important when you're shooting content at trade shows to even give people a heads up of like, hey, this is going to be like a 60 second max two minute type of video. We don't want to put you on the spot. It's going to be quick, going to be easy. Yeah, you don't have to think of a bunch of different other things to say. So I don't know. I gave you a couple there, but I know you have really good ideas of how to how to get content out of events. So talk to us about that. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I think yeah, you just brought up a good point and why I think short form content is going to be a massive piece of a B2B marketer's uh, arsenal in 2023, because I, I wrote about this the other day. And so if you think about it, long I don't think long form is going away, first off, because with people come, you know, saying I think long form is going away. I don't think that's true. I just think that if, if, you know, if you're doing this at an event and it's the, and you're ultimately getting this content out there and this is the first time someone is hearing about Chili Piper, let's just say, for example, why are you hitting them with a 20 minute or 30 minute video instead yeah. of a 60 second clip that gets them wanting more? And then all of a sudden you take maybe, maybe you take that 20 minute customer combo or whatever and you chop it, chop it up into like, 10 different little like micro clips. Now you have micro content that you can distribute across all these other channels and it's short and easy to consume. And it's like, you know, people have short attention spans. That's part of it. But like, ultimately you don't want people that have never heard of Chili Piper to be drinking from the fire hose and thinking, wow, hold on. I have to like watch all these 20, 30 minute videos just to figure out what this customer and what Chili Piper actually does. Like, I think that's, for me, that's a massive piece as I think about 2023 and like events and how to tie short form specifically from the events. My focus is like these short 60 second videos. Like, and if I do record, because I think customer stories, so, so, social proof is incredibly big. Yeah. Um, how do I chop those up into these micro 60 to 90 second videos? Because then I can put them on LinkedIn. I can put them on TikTok. I can put them on YouTube shorts. 
I can put them on Instagram Reels. Like the organic reach on those other platforms right now is massive. And when I yeah. tell you massive, like I've been posting on TikTok and Instagram Reels and YouTube Shorts for a while now. And like you could put really anything out there and it just people people love it. It's usually a different audience from LinkedIn yeah. as well. So you're reaching a whole new audience as well. So I think it's such a good point that maybe we didn't talk about enough in terms of like maybe the the type of content. You're right. Long form is always going to be alive, but all of those platforms you just listed, you can tell they're over indexing on video. So this is like going to be the future. I do think short attention spans, but I think one of the biggest things is like even in a buyer's journey, you're not always selling. It's almost just creating enough intrigue to get them to take that next step. So maybe it's watching a video of Nick and somebody at the event and you say, hey, this is this was fun. I love the entire 20 minute customer story. Cool. Maybe I click into that. Maybe you're just saying something around like a narrative of Alice or whatever company that gets me to think, huh, I never really thought of Alice that way. And now I'm going to go onto the website and maybe I'm only there for a minute or two. But cool, you just like imprinted this brand. Then I see another video of Nick and I'm like, okay, I'm really liking this content. And by the way, I'm probably describing the buyer journey of a lot of Alice buyers where they see you for what you're doing. Then they go to your page and then they say, okay, what does Nick actually do for Alice? Then they actually go on their journey of like checking out the website. And lo and behold, once they fill out that form, they say, how did you hear about us? Well, Nick Bennett's content. So I think this short form lends itself really well to marketers because you can't just think about pitching or getting them into a demo. How do you create that little bit of intrigue that gets them to maybe take that next micro step in their buyer journey? I think that's a, it's a really key point of like, especially the content you should be creating at events. Love that, man. That was, I, I mean, I had, I had a blast. And so, um, you know, I want to first thank you so much for, for joining me today. Cause I feel like, I feel like we covered so much and like, there was so much value here. And I also want to make sure to thank Motion, who produces this show for me. I couldn't do this without them, as well as the other sponsors uh, of the show. And so if you do have any other anonymous questions, nothing is off the table, tactical, career-related, literally anything, make sure to go to motionagency.io slash anonymous, and we will catch you next time. Again, Arthur, thank you so much for joining me today. Man, it's, it's, uh, it's an honor and a pleasure, man. This is great. Thanks for checking out this episode of The Anonymous Marketer. For more episodes, check us out wherever you get your favorite podcasts or visit us on the web at motionagency.io slash anonymous. And finally, this show is produced by Motion, a done-for-you podcast agency for small, scrappy B2B tech marketers. To learn how you can launch and grow a podcast for your company, visit motionagency.io.